cliffcentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and cliffcentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Lionel is away today, but sitting in his chair is our researcher, Benji Scheinberg. And the good news is that Benji is a... Birthday boy. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, happy yeah. birthday, Benji. Thank you, thank you. To all of what, 20-something? Yeah, 24. You've had a very busy week, Benji. I know last uh, week... You covered a big, big event. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, at first I was like, what, what's a man like myself doing at a th- women's launch with 300 professional women, uh, accountants? How lucky are you? Yeah, I really was. I really was lucky. Um, accountants, lawyers, huge entrepreneurs with big companies. So I was really nervous. But as I went there, I interviewed these high-profile women, and they were great. They gave great insights of how women can get into the economy, how they can get over the chauvinism in the corporate world. So it really was fantastic. And I'd like to thank Rena Brumberg and Gareth Cliff and management for giving me the opportunity, as well as yourself, Gary. Thank you. Cool. Benj, uh, you uh, have a podcast out on that one. It's on our Laws of Life page. Yes, it How is. How do we get there? So, yeah, you just have to go on to cliffcentral.com and go on to Laws of Life, click podcast, and it's under the African Women's Movement official launch. So, yeah, have a listen there, and uh, I'd love all the feedback. African Women's Movement was founded by Rafilwe Matenshe. That's correct. And uh, it's, it's unbelievable what she's accomplished in no time. She has 300, 300 people that uh, have joined to become a, a, a force in this country. 300 women. Definitely, Fantastic. yeah, it was crazy. And, and you did some great interviews. I've listened to the podcast. You've got to hear that one. Uh, you interviewed some big names as well. Yeah, definitely. Owners of their own nanny services, big, big uh, ladies in the bank. So, yeah, it was it was very rewarding, and I learned a lot from, from that launch. Okay, today's show, Benj, uh, first up, we're talking divorce and family law. And we have a guest attorney with us today, a specialist guest attorney. He's Nuno Palmeira of the legal firm McLaren's in Randburg. And Nuno specializes in family law, so he's the right man for the job today. Welcome to you, Nuno. Thank you, Gary. Pleasure to be back. If you're getting divorced or, or you're contemplating hoofing your spouse out the house, then this show is for you. Sounds a bit callous, but that's the way it is. Everyone wants to know what their rights are, even if you um, not if you happily married. There is probably someone you know that needs help, and this is the show. I, I've got a great idea today. If you need help and you want to send it in to us in the form of a question, our WhatsApp number is uh, 79 748 2090. Let's just do that one again. If you're listening live, most of our listeners, Benj, uh, listen on podcast. But if you're listening live and you want any family law advice, maintenance, divorce, children, whatever it may be, 079-748-2090. Definitely. And also on our, our Twitter handle. 
at uh, Hertz Law. That would be great. If you can, any queries through to that would be appreciated. Also, please get hold of us on uh, your, your Twitter, our Twitter handle yeah. at Hertz Law you gave, and then our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. And then our email address comes straight through lawlaw at cliffcentral.com. Okay, 0797482090. Uh, also about, we have a little segment after this family law one. We're going to promote uh, one of our schools, and I'm very happy to do this. Anyone that is coming up with something that, that is artistic, uh, come to us because we'll push it for you. The Hyde Park High School is in studio with us at, towards the end of the show. Not the whole school, but as part of it, they're celebrating their 60th anniversary, and this school is now presenting a show bench that ran for three years on Broadway. Incredible. Unbelievable. We're not going to tell you the name now. They'll tell you all about it. If it was good enough for Broadway for three years, it's good enough for us here in Johannesburg. So we want you to have a look at that one. There's another show that we promoted, Benji, that's doing unbelievably well. You saw it. I saw it. I raved about it. So did you. You want to tell us about it? Yeah. So Chantal Stanfield, she came in and we interviewed her. She's an actress and she's um, in a one-woman play called From Kusk Sisters to Canadalach. And being a Jew myself, obviously you as well, Gary, we went there and just the, the jokes that come out of there, it's a big laugh and it's just a fantastic evening and it was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. She's a, an extremely accomplished actress. I didn't know how good she was till I saw it. She's also coming back on Seven Delange. She told us very secretly in our last interview and I think everyone then from then on it was it was out and about that she's coming back. Chantal Stanfield, she is really, she's in the mold of like Trevor Noah. That sense of humor is clever and she's special. It's on right now at the Theatre on the Square. Yeah, that's it. Have to Mandela see that. Square. You've got to go on a Tuesday uh, tonight. You can get half price tickets, 70 ronts, as they say. Jeepers, it's worthwhile seeing Chantal for 70 rand. Definitely. Really. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, that's our uh, pushing of the arts for right now, Bench. Let's talk to Nuna Palmera. He's an attorney at McLaren's Attorneys in Randburg, as I said, and his expertise is family law, divorce litigation, parental rights, and all the rest that flows with that. Now, we we publish uh, what we're going to do in in advance, and one lady got hold of us and she said, "I have so many questions. Do you mind?" If I come into studio, and I said with pleasure, but she has to be anonymous because her divorce is ongoing. Welcome to you, anonymous. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for an opportunity. Now you are in the process of getting divorced. You don't have an attorney. Yes, that is correct. And the reason you don't have an attorney is because it's very hard to fund an attorney today, and we all know that. I'm one. I'm an attorney, so I I understand the the difficulty of it because the fees are so high. So you want to ask some questions. Right now you're in the position where you cannot really litigate properly because you're hamstrung. You don't have the money to get a lawyer. So you're trying to put things together yourself. But it's a bit like taking out your own appendix. Very difficult. Yeah, that's very much the same. <laughs> okay. So you know, you've, you, you've, you're very knowledgeable and you've kind of looked up and you've read up about Rule 43 and Section 58 which uh, we're going to delve into now. Tell us from your side what you understand that to be and what you are looking for. Um, I'm for the past two years, I'm in the process of divorce with my husband. And at this stage of time, uh, there's just left no financial means 
um, for myself and for my son, we have son, he lives with me, uh, to maintain basically living. Okay, so, you were married to a man for how many years? Uh, for six years. Okay, so uh, w- w- would you classify him as a poor man, a rich man, a middle class? Where does he fit? In what category does um, he fit? He's a wealthy person. He's wealthy. You lived when you lived with him. You lived in a home that you would estimate to be worth what? Uh, about twenty million. Twenty million. Twenty million rand. Yeah, would he? Did he have a bond? Would you know, or was the house paid up? To no, it was all paid up. All paid up. Fancy cars? Yes, a few fancy cars, motorbikes. We're just setting the scene so that our listeners can understand uh, what you're seeking and why you're seeking that. Would he be in a position to litigate comfortably to fight you in court? He is definitely in the position to litigate comfortably. Does he have an attorney? Yes, he does. He does have an attorney that represents him. Now, what you want to do is you want to be placed in the same position that he's in. Yes, that's correct. You want to be able to fight him? Or fight the case for you and your son, and you want money right now to live on. Am I right about yes, that? Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah. Okay, so you know of this rule forty three. Um, let's let's ask Nuno what is rule forty three and rule fifty eight. Well, Gary, the reality is that rule forty three and rule fifty eight are two separate rules. One's in the high court, one's in the magistrates court, but they, in essence, are the same form of an application. It's a application which we call an application pendente lite, but for the listeners out there, that means an application pending the outcome of existing litigation. So a Rule 43, you make application, you can make application for payments of maintenance pending the outcome of a divorce, you can make arrangements for contact, and you can also ask for a party to contribute to your legal costs and your maintenance if you're a spouse to even the fields of play in divorce proceedings. Okay, so Nuna, we all know that a divorce can take years. Uh, a defended, contested, a messy, thorny, horrible divorce can take years before it gets to trial, and somebody needs to finance all that until it gets there. So what you're saying to our anonymous guest today is, this is the right application for you Absolutely. to get interim maintenance whilst this case is being fought and to get a contribution towards your legal fees. Correct. Does the court, assuming that Anonymous today has was, was the worst wife in the world, okay, and her husband had every right to, to, to want to end the marriage, which I don't know what the facts are, would he still, does the court go into that now or does the court not look at the merits right now? The court deals with the merits in a very superficial way when dealing with applications for maintenance in an interim nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have a bearing, but mainly the court looks at, is there a duty of support? By marriage, there automatically is a duty, a reciprocal duty between spouses to maintain each other. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously an obligation on parents to maintain their children. So in Anonymous's case, where she says he's very wealthy and she's had a high standard of living, there would be an indication that the court would have to intervene to ensure she receives the appropriate maintenance according to her standard of living, be it on a permanent basis or really on a interim basis. The court can, in certain circumstances, actually order that, look, I've seen your case. I think you have the ability to work or you have the ability to generate income, so I'm going to direct the respondent or the other 
party to pay you for six months, 12 months, and then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. There are other cases where the court can say, look, pendente lita, until the divorce is done, this is the order and it must be paid every month. How is this application brought? Is it brought, do you actually go and give evidence in court or is it brought on affidavit? It's brought on affidavit. It's solely argued on paper. Yeah. The court does have a discretion to get verbal evidence, but this is not commonly the case, especially in the high court. Normally the judge doesn't even see the parties. He doesn't know Correct. what they look like. Correct. So he can't form an impression and say, well, you know, she looks like, you know, someone who needs help. She's bedraggled and, and sad. He doesn't even see the parties. The court doesn't see the parties. In actual fact, the application is meant to be an expedited process. So there are even practice guidelines which limit the amount of pages your application can be. Mm. It's sitting currently at 18 pages. Your own affidavits can only be 18 or the whole lot? can. Be, your, your own affidavit, so your founding affidavit for your application can be 18 pages maximum. The court does within reason allow extensions, but you basically have to provide the most expedited, to the point, cut to the chase case possible, and only provide the absolute necessary documents for the court to make a proper determination. How long, how long does it take for the application for interim maintenance and costs to be finalized from the moment we kind of start drawing the affidavit and, uh, Gary, that's a broad question because ideally it should be dealt with within the space of, say, two months because you launch your application, the respondent has 10 court days to file a response, and there's no further issue. The matter should be set down and heard by the court. However, in practice, this is sometimes delayed either through um, supplementary papers being filed then there has to be applications for leave to file those supplementary papers and people actually just... In essence, don't follow the actual expedited process. Okay. This particular case, assuming a case is in the high court, then it's Rule 43. Correct. Otherwise, in the magistrate's court, it's 58. While I have you there, for parties getting divorced, what, what court should they look at and why? Well, the one has to look at the reason why the magistrate's court was afforded the jurisdiction to deal with the nullity of a marriage and divorces. Mm. Um, the reason that was done was because our high courts were inundated with numerous cases, multitudes of cases that just clogged their role. And a high court, really, it is a specialist in complex matters. Yes. For it to continually deal with matrimonial law, which is in in itself a, quite a simple law in comparison to commercial law or companies law, yeah. it kind of burdens the court unnecessarily. So our Justice Department extended that jurisdiction to the regional court of the magistrate's court to deal with nullities of a marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, when you choose which court to approach, the first board of call is what are the financial means of the parties? Can they afford to actually litigate on a high court scale? Or do they have a lesser burden which, or a lesser availability of funds, which means you should put it into the regional court? There are other issues involved as well where the high court has a history and is the only court that generally deals with trust law. So if a divorce involves a trust or involves major corporate entities and a whole delusion of financial affairs, it may be appropriate and better placed for the high court to deal with those kind of complexities than a magistrate's court. There have been people that have leveled kind of accusations at attorneys that they're shunting these cases into the high court because the fees are higher for the lawyer. Uh, for a simple, your average divorce, not simple, there's no simple divorce, for your average divorce, whereas in fact they should go into the magistrate's court because the fees are much cheaper. 
there could be merit in that. Are the fees cheaper if you go to a lawyer, or does he charge the same rate for a divorce in the magistrate's court as he would in the high court? I think, look, from an attorney's perspective, you bill for your time. So whether it's in the magistrate's court or the high court, you're billing the same time. The cost that increase in the high court is you, you usually require the services of an advocate which can cost anywhere from 8000 to some senior counsel cost over 40000 per day. Yes. Um, it also comes becomes a long, drawn-out process in the high court because their practice directives and their procedures are a lot more formalistic. Uh, when presenting cases, the whole process must be conducted by an advocate. The advocate must litigate. So when you go to court, every appearance you have your attorney present and your advocate, so it's doubling up your costs. Yeah. So for your average divorce, the recommendation is go to the magistrate's court. Are I would, there, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't criticize a court really on radio, but is justice being served in, in, the, in, the, in the lower courts, in the magistrate's court? I would say in most cases, yes. But we have to also bear in mind that the regional courts have only been dealing with divorces for a very short time in comparison to the high court. Yes. Um, the re- some me- regional magistrates are still getting to grips with the issues that they have to deal with in a divorce process, and that's why sometimes divorces in the regional court can be can be delayed or have not incorrect, but perhaps not the best outcome possible. Before the show, our anonymous guest said to me, "I know I'm talking for her, but we'll bring her in." She said, "My husband's a very wealthy man." He's got assets. He's got how many houses does he have? Two houses. He's got two houses. Value what? About uh, 25, 28 million plus fancy cars, like I stated before. And yeah, so high maintenance, high standards of living. Okay, so now he says um, his wife, Anonymous, who's sitting in the studio, says he's got the money or he's got the assets, but he's claiming poverty. He says he hasn't got the cash. And this is a concern uh, that he won't pay. What is the answer here? Well, if that's the case and he's, he's got the assets, the court does look at the primary basis for payment of maintenance is income. But if there is no income but there's sufficient capital assets, hmm. the court can still direct that person to pay the maintenance. Can they say you go and sell that house? You don't have to live in a 20 million rand home. Don't they can do, say yeah. that, but generally the orders don't specify that. Yes. What, the, what the court does is they look at the, the facts of each particular case hmm. and they see, okay, you might not be earning an income. But if you sold your property, you would have enough uh, capital uh, liquidized funds to pay this maintenance. So we're going to order that you pay this maintenance, and it's up to you to actually deal with your affairs and have the capital asset liquidized into those funds. Yeah, the courts have said that a litigant is entitled to litigate uh, on the same sort of scale that would be expected of her in her circumstances. Now, there's a very wealthy husband here. He's got all the money. He can litigate. So what she's saying is, I want to go to court and I want to ask the court to order him to pay my lawyer so that I can litigate against him. It sounds a bit crazy because he says, bugger you, I'm not paying your lawyer. But in effect, that's what the law says. He has to if she can't earn a living right now and she wants to be in the same position as he. Correct. The court actually in dealing with Rule 43 and 58 applications, specifically with respect to legal costs, always tries to place both parties on the same scale to present their case to the court so that there's no unfair advantage by one litigant over the other. There's another question that's really important. Assuming that he he has children from a previous marriage or will have children from another marriage to be, do any children, the first children, take priority or, or should they all? Or does the law say they all get treated equally? 
the law says that one child doesn't take priority over another. Mm. However, the best interests of each child must be satisfied with each decision the court makes. So in to break it down in a basic concept, if I divorce now, I have a child and I get remarried, I have another child. Yes. The fact that I have remarried and have now fathered another child doesn't impact my obligations. I must treat each person individually and on the same standard as far as possible. What the court requires of me in that situation is to lower my standard of living before I prejudice either of the children. Okay, so he says, I know about in this case, but normally husbands say, listen, I've got two other kids that are now older. I'm paying them a fortune a month. I can't now pay this new little kid that we have. So you've got to take a back seat on this one and... uh, I'm going to pay you less. That's that's unfair, isn't it? Gary, that is unfair, and that's yeah. more often actually the argument made in court is, yeah. look, I've got a new baby. I need to cater for it. It, need, it has more needs than a major. Yeah. And the principle of law is correct. The major requires – a major child, so a child over 18, requires less maintenance than a child under 18. Yeah. But if we're talking about apples and apples minor children, they should all be treated the same way. Yes. A major, obviously, would it would influence the discussion, and they might not be maintained on the same level as a child. Nuna Palmera, we're getting great advice. Let's go back to Anonymous. She doesn't have the funds now to get a lawyer to even bring the Rule 43. She wants to do it on her own. She wants to draft an affidavit, which she'll type herself, and she's going to set out – her story. What goes in that affidavit? What must she put in there to succeed? Basically, the the basic points that you need to put into Rule 43 is your current financial situation, your current financial expenses, the extent of your financial means, so what income and capital you have, mm. and to your knowledge, what income and capital the respondent has or the person you're trying to get money from has. Mm. The court will then look at the whole situation very briefly, well, not very briefly, they look at a brief description of the situation and determine and extract the relevant portions to determine what is actually going on. In my view, the process is a bit um, unfair in the sense that the in a normal application, you file a founding affidavit, the respondent files an answer, and then there's a reply from the applicant. Mm. In this situation, there's no, reply. there's no reply. You've got to make sure what you put in your founding, the first affidavit, really is strong. Correct. Don't put in rubbish. Just mm. put in the, put, the absolute, the most, the, the most important part of your life goes into, correct. into that. Yeah. Usually what you also do as a basic necessity is you attach your latest bank statement. Yes. Because the court usually uses the bank statement to extract what your expenses actually are. Yeah. What's going to happen here, and it happens every case, the respondent, who's probably the husband, will say, um, you, you can go and work. You, you qualified to work. Go and work. Go get a job. What are you sitting at home? And uh, am I right? Is that what gets leveled at you? Uh, no, it's not yeah. my case yeah. because I'm not, I don't have qualifica- qualification recognized in South Africa. Uh-huh. So for me, it's very difficult to find a job and I'm constantly searching for a job. Um, I I went for numerous job interviews. And also... Does uh, that go into her founding affidavit? Does she say, I've done everything to try and find a job? Correct. I'm unqualified in this country? That would all be part of her financial situation. What has she done to get her financial situation better. Yeah. For example, a 60-year-old who's never worked a day in her life mm. would have a very different situation to a person who is 20 and has been married for two years and now is seeking maintenance. The court will generally level its hand and say, look, 
either you can get a job and sustain yourself and we will afford you a monetary contribution for a limited period of time to allow you an opportunity to get that job. Yeah. Do you think, Anonymous, that you're capable of drafting an affidavit? I Do hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I know? have no yeah. I have no other option because I will have to do that just to try to Is there, there are rule 43 affidavits that you can find on the internet founding affidavits. I guess if you uh, you know would you know if you google it? Uh, you, you can find templates but um as a practitioner I tend to avoid using any form of precedence. Yeah. I think they carry inherent dangers which could prejudice your case in court. I think that um even if you need to find a attorney that can help you at least to get your basic elements of your application in. Would there be an attorney that would do a Rule 43? I mean, it's a stupid question. How would you know? But we're thinking aloud, uh, one attorney who says, I'll do the Rule 43 without charging you, but if you, if I succeed, I'm going to take part of that. Is he allowed to take part of her? You, you, yeah. you, what, what you do... Well, he gets the costs if she succeeds, yes. What you do is, generally speaking, the costs in Rule 43 and 58 applications are usually reserved for the finalization of the divorce. Mm. So what that means is those costs won't be determined at the Rule 43 stage, yeah. they'll be determined by the court at the end of the divorce mm -hmm. trial. But what an attorney can do is draft the paperwork, mm -hmm. issue an invoice to the client for the paperwork, mm -hmm. and when she approaches the court, she can attach that invoice to her papers and say, this is what I've expended thus far Excellent. to bring this application to court, yeah. and he and the respondent should pay for it. Yeah, so don't take out your own appendix, Anonymous. Uh, think, try and find an attorney that will assist you. That's very valuable advice. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything on Rule 43 that we haven't covered that would be of general interest to our listeners? Um, the other thing, if I will not come right with the situation when, you know, because I'm not South African and I will need to leave to my home country, um, what is the process? If she wants to, she's not South African. You here on a, your husband's visa or whatever it may be. Um, no, I have. I, um, I you have, have South have African whatever. idea. Okay, so if she wants to go back to live in uh, wherever she comes from, what uh, can she take the kid and go, or how would the courts view that one? If, if there is no child, um, in essence, you could pack up and leave. Yes, you, no one can stop you from doing that. <coughs> Excuse me. When the child becomes involved, that's where the difficulty arises because you can't just simply move a child without the other parent's consent. Both parents have parental rights. So when you want to move a child outside the borders of the republic, you have to obtain the consent from the other parent. If that consent is refused or not given unreasonably, you can approach the high court for an, on an application to dispense with that person's consent and remove the child anyway. But How can, does the court view that then? It, 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 it's dependent from case to case, mm. but generally speaking, if you look at the cases historically, where a child is with the mother and the mother has to move and has no other alternative, and let's face it, if you're moving to Europe or America, sometimes the prospects for that child's life are better there than here, yeah. the court is very unlikely to force that child to stay in the republic. Instead of going with the mother So the court looks at the usual What's in the best interest of the child Not in what's in your best interest ultimately isn't Correct it? Yeah. Every decision impacting a child Must be in its best interest This is in the constitution In the children's act In every decision you take for a child There's a mother There's a mother who's had uh, the child living with her For six years after the divorce She gets an offer to work in Dubai A great job The father says you can't You can't take the child I love the child I want to see the child 
Uh, what's how would the court view that one? You, you mentioned Dubai, and that's that's a, a difficult country to immigrate to for children for one reason. Mm. The courts are very. Um, loathe to send a child to a country that doesn't have the same protections for children that oh. South Africa has. Okay. So with Dubai specifically. Bad, bad example. Bad, bad example. The court may say, look, we're not satisfied that these, this, the, this child's rights will be protected in Dubai. Well, it's, it's, it actually turned out to be a good question. Yes. So it depends also on the country that you want Correct. to immigrate. Okay. Let's say it's one of the first world countries of. So let's talk about the UK. Yes. So the mother gets an opportunity to move to the UK. It has, uh, the child has every protection there and is likely to have a better life. Mm. Father objects and says, I love the child. I want him as part of my life. Again, the court will look at it and see what is in the best interest of the child. So with whom does he have a stronger, with whom does the child have a stronger relationship? With whom are his emotional, psychological well-being or needs catered for? Mm. What where would his education be better catered for? Where would his financial security come from? Mm. And in the sense, when the court looks at if the child leaves, what happens? And if the child stays, what happens? Mm. And which situation is better? If the child leaves, generally the court must be satisfied that appropriate measures are in place for that child to continue to develop and maintain contact with the parent that will remain behind. Even if she, even if the, the mother's got to pay towards the airfare. Correct. To bring the father over. That is a, that UK. is a common, yeah. that is a common occurrence where the court says, look, you want to move to have this fancy job. Yeah. Um, you can afford, on your new fancy job, you could afford to send the child back once or twice a year to visit the father. Anonymous, uh, you want to take this further on any level that we've discussed so far? No, no. Have you got the answers that you want? Um, yes. Just one answer um, to Nuna. Um, where maybe he can give me advice. Where can I go to which attorney or attorney firm? I, you know what? Maybe after there. the show, you can just whisper in Nuna's ear, and he may direct you. <laughs> okay. And uh, Nuna, unless you want to deal with that, it could be a bit embarrassing for you now to to refer her to <laughs> attorneys. And, I'd, I'd rather have a conversation with her afterwards. But um, on that note, I'm happy to actually sit with anonymous and see what her situation is, and perhaps I could be of assistance to her. Oh, thank you so much. It's very much appreciated. That's very nice of you. Um, one thing I know you've been doing a lot of, and I read your articles, and you've, you're very interesting in what you write. Talk thank to you. us about paternity matters that's become very prevalent <laughs> right now. What's going on there? Well, Gary, I've noticed the plethora of cases coming to my door of um, men coming to the to the office saying, look, I've been accused that I'm the father of this child. And I say, okay, where's the paternity test? No, there isn't one. The child hasn't been born yet. And the basic principle is if you dispute that you're the father or have any doubt that you are the father of a child, you can refuse to pay maintenance and refuse to pay a contribution to the laying in expenses unless paternity is proven. Now, this presents a difficulty with pregnancy Mm -hmm. because the mother will have all these expenses of the pregnancy to bear. Mm -hmm. But unless she's willing to run the risk of a very dangerous test during pregnancy to determine if the child is the child of the father she alleges it, it it becomes a very difficult scenario because most mothers aren't willing to run that risk yet they still expect to be paid yes so in that situation you cannot be held to pay yeah but if you do pay out you've got to wait for the child to be born correct for that paternity test yes and then whatever it shows is the way the court 
deals with it. Correct, because once yep. the child is born yep. and the application is actually lodged at the maintenance court, yep. if one alleges that the father is not the actual biological father of the child, the court will actually arrange for a nurse to come to the court, draw blood, and actually have a test conducted on all three parties, so the child, the mother, and the father, okay. to determine if paternity is actually there or not. On that note, it is important to understand that the only paternity tests our courts accept are blood tests conducted on both parents and the child mm. because the test actually runs through 17 factors and those 17 factors have to hit a 99.8% likelihood that the father is the biological father. Otherwise, the court won't accept it. Yeah. So if a man is being obstructive, maybe rightly or wrongly so, and he says, I'm not the father, I'm definitely, I could never have been, he holds out until the child is born. In the meantime, the mother's got to pay for everything. It's a bit tough on her, isn't it? It's but, very, when, but after uh, paternity is proven, can she then claim it all back from him? She can ask yeah. the court to, if he is being obstructive yeah. and willfully obstructive and he's actually caused this whole situation and he had knowledge that he was probably the father, Yeah. Um, the court can order back maintenance so that he contribute to, to all the laying in expenses and all the maintenance he hasn't paid so far. Yeah. But that is an order that is not... Um, broadly granted It is granted very limitedly Usually to actual expenses So if you had medical invoices For appointments, for scans Those are things that the court would consider But you can't just walk in and say Look, I've been spending 2,000 rand a month For this child And the court won't look at that Because there's no documentation To actually support the actual claim Good Last is uh Maintenance courts, uh, they, people cry about, especially uh, so many women I know, they just can't get anywhere, they say. Is there a turnaround? What's going on? Wh which courts do you normally practice in and and what's happening in the courts on the maintenance level? Um, Gary, I practice in several courts across Kauteng, from Pretoria all the way to Valenichen and Randburg and Benoni. I have actually also practiced in Cape Town courts in Somerset West. Mm. Um, I can tell you that we share the grief of applicants and respondents in the process that cases are taking far longer than they should. And these complaints have actually arrived at the Department of Justice, who's issued a directive to courts that from start to finish, ideally a maintenance case, case should be dealt with within a 90-day period. There are obviously exceptions to the rule, but a maintenance court is duty-bound by the department to finalize cases within 90 days. And I must say that since that directive has been issued in the courts I work, I am seeing a faster turnaround time. But there are exceptions. A lot of complaints are from mothers that say they can't get that that subpoena or the summons served on the guy because the person going out to serve it, they can't serve it themselves. It's got to be done by an official, and that official is a bit slow in coming forward. How, what's the best way to get the guy to court? Gary, the directive that's issued by a maintenance officer in maintenance cases is a directive in terms of Section 6. So it's usually served by the sheriff of the court or a police officer. Personally, I always choose the sheriff because the sheriff is paid to do his job and he has an interest in actually doing his job. And you've got to pay him for that. Correct. So it's 50, 100 rand, whatever it may be. You can ask for a normal service. That's 50 to 100 rand. You can even go as far as same-day urgent service, mm. and that can cost you sometimes over 1,000 rand. So there's a sheriff for every... Town, every in every district, town, every in every district. district. So if you want to serve a summons in uh, Johannesburg, say you go to the, or, or Randburg, you go to the, Sant whatever it is, Santon yeah. Sheriff, and 
You pay him and you get your summons served and he gives it an official return and uh, that's quick. It, yes. Yeah. In fact, if the public wants to know, when, when, you, when you try and find out which sheriff you have to serve on, usually the maintenance clerks inform you. Yeah. But you can go to the sheriff's board website. Mm. And there's actually a process on the website where you actually put in the area you wish to serve on yeah. and it will, you, you click the search and it pops out the sheriff you need to actually contact. Great advice. We have a minute or so left. Is there anything? I know that you've written about parental <laughs> rights and obligations and you've also written about unmarried fathers, their rights. There are fathers listening, unmarried fathers. Quickly, if, unless you've got something else you want to raise. No, I'm, I'm very keen on that. It's a, it's a field of law I take particular interest in. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can say is there is a, a process for you to acquire your parental rights. Just because you're unmarried doesn't mean you need to be shunned and removed from your child's life. Mm. Never give up fighting for that because one day your child will inherently, they always come back and they ask why, why? what yeah. did you do? Mm. And I think in that situation, it's always better to say, my girl or my boy, this is exactly what I did to try and be a part of your life. And it's important for that child that you are a part of their lives. My penny's worth uh, to our anonymous guest is that eventually her husband will have to disclose his financial affairs. Eventually. Correct. She's married. If she's married uh, by antinuptial contract with accrual, it can be done earlier in the process. If she's married just by antinuptial contract, it will be done at discovery stage, which is um, when the pleadings are closed, a little, a little bit down the road. Correct. He has to give his bank statements, and from there, you do a forensic and you follow the trail. Where did the money come in? Where did the money go out? Correct. There's actually two issues on that point, Gary. Um, yeah. The courts have been quite clear that matrimonial issues or matrimonial disputes in those disputes, the parties must give a full and frank disclosure to the court to provide the court and enable the court to get a proper analysis of the situation so it can make a proper order. Yeah. And when parties are, do not give that frank disclosure, they can be hit with a costs order or a punitive order for costs. And attorneys themselves, even in the Brownlee case, mm. can be held liable for not actually engaging properly and trying to resolve the matter without need for litigation. Yeah, I know that within our firm we have a forensics division that does a lot of this, and they do watch every cent and where it's moved to. So when you get to court, uh, there's nothing unexpected. It's all there. And the man or the woman has got to, 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 to answer a lot. So please conduct these forensics. They've got to be done, especially in these big divorces. It's very important. Yeah. The, the difficulty I find is in, in a case like Anonymous's position, many litigants don't have the funds to actually pay for forensics. That's the difficulty. So I think our Justice Department needs to actually look at catering for some form of forensic investigation unit for people who can't afford litigation. Yeah, very important. Okay, it's been a fascinating chat with Nuna Palmera. He's of McLaren, spelt like the motor car in Randburg. McLaren's attorney's Nuna, very knowledgeable and very nice man. Anonymous, you've learned a lot. I think the best part is you may walk out with an attorney yes. <laughs> for coming in here. And thank you. Good for luck to you and Nuna. I hope to get you back. Love, love talking to always, you. It's always, always so happy interesting. to come back. Good. We're going to break for a moment. When we come back, we've got the Hyde Park High School that are chomping at the bit to come into studio to talk about their play. We can't wait for that one. Cheers till next time, and uh, we'll be right back. Cliffcentral.com.